as you continue to hear, you're going to hear more and more of Christianity declining. We are in the days in which Christianity is going to be challenged more than any other time. And unless you prepare yourself to be anchored in the Word of God, when a wind of doctrine comes across, when a new teaching comes across, you're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to run after this and you're going to run after that. You're going to find yourself running because you are uncertain of what you really say you believe in. What efforts are you making to grow? What are you doing for yourself to really grow in the Lord? What are you practicing? What are you reading? What are you challenging yourself with in order to grow in the Lord? As we looked at First Peter some last week, where the Lord says, Make every effort to add these things to your life. Those are things you have to do. God has left in his word things that you and I must do if we're going to grow. He's done the initial thing. And that is the work that you couldn't do. You couldn't save yourself. I couldn't save myself. He's done that. But then he gives us, and we're going to get into this in a little bit further, one or two more sermons down, the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I think today we really don't understand the Holy Spirit other than that it's the Spirit that makes me jump, shout, and so forth. He's much more than that. But I want you to think on it. What efforts are you making to really grow in Christ? LeVon James says this, the one commentator really picked up on it and was amazed by it. James says, I don't measure myself in basketball by other players. I compete against myself. I compete against myself. I guess when you are the greatest, there's nobody else to what? That you can really... So what you have to ask yourself is simply this. How can I improve? And he's always looking to improve his game. He's 6'8", I think it is. But he jumps and he can rebound like somebody who is 7'4". How do you improve on that? When you watch some of his drills that he goes through and he's shooting, and his trainer has him shooting while off balance because so many of his shots are made while he's what? Off balance. That the body becomes, that is still a natural feeling even when you're off balance. He competes against himself. Don't compete about what Pastor Brown knows. You're not in competition with me. 
You're not in competition with Melvin on how much he knows or Pastor Travis or anybody else. But you are in competition with yourself. And if you're satisfied with your game, you won't improve it. You have to want to be better. You have to desire it. And you have to put an effort out to do more. The whole issue is this. If you're running track and you run 100 in 9-1 or 9-2, can you beat your own time? Can you run faster? Will you train in in such a way that that's your goal to run faster? Or are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? You have to come to a place to look in your Christian life and deeply ask yourself the question, are you really satisfied with it? You have to ask yourself another question. Are you doing all that you can do to grow and gather knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you doing that? Spurgeon puts it this way, and I like what he says here. If God, if God drops not down his assistance, in other words, if God don't assist us in this, and that's what God does, but there first has to be a willing heart in us, a desire in us. If God doesn't assist us, we write with a pen that have no ink. <laughs> We're trying to live this Christian life that is empty. We're trying to live this Christian life that can't write anything because it doesn't have any ink. It doesn't have what it needs on the inside for other people to declare that we're Christians. Now, in Matthew 22, 37 Jesus was asked a question and he replied in this fashion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now that's the easy part. And most of us will confess, oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. And sometimes the Lord Jesus really knows that that's only mouth service. (laughs) And sometimes it really is from the heart. And then he says, Love the Lord with all your soul, all of your innermost being. That's the spiritual part on the inside. That something inside is exciting about the Lord. There's something about a woman being pregnant and feeling and sensing the child on the inside. It's a a joy. But for her to give life, there's that pain that comes before that has to endure. And for you to receive the life that God really wants you to have, there's some pain you have to endure. There's some labor pains in birthing truth into your life. There's some hurt that we go through. There's that struggle that we go through in order to give life 
of God's word in our life. And Mark, he goes on, because this is one of the things now where we leave out. The hard part is easy. The soul part is what takes place inside. But then he says, the mind. That's the work. How do you cultivate your mind? How do you build your mind up? How do you build the muscles of the mind to be able to always give an answer to men and women who ask you the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? How do you build your mind in order to enter into the debates today of about Jesus and who Jesus is? How do you build your mind And that's important on what you do to condition yourself to be the best Christian that you can be. Over in Mark and in Luke 10 also, he kind of like uses another word or he adds something else to it. With all your strength. Matthew doesn't say that. But in Mark and Luke, he uses all your strength. And in Luke, he even changes it because mind comes, but in Luke he says strength, then mind. That it takes every effort inside of you, all your muscles, all your power, all your strength to learn about Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's an adversary there that is trying to keep you from learning. He will distract you. He will deceive you. He will trick you. He will call your attention somewhere else that you lose focus upon Jesus. That you find yourself wanting to do that. And Paul says, every time I desire to do good, what? Evil is where? Present. And you'll find that in your own life. The more you begin to try to think about Jesus and learn about Jesus, there's going to always be an interruption unless you say, no, this is my time with the Lord. But that's making the effort. That's doing what you need to do in order to grow. In order to grow. A lot of people study in order to argue theologically. How many of you study for the presence of God? How many of you study to have the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? I'm not so much interested in theological debates, though. I love to get into it. My wife will tell you, I can debate it. I'll go at it. But you know where the real studying comes in? When God speaks to you personally. And when God opens his word to you and shows you something, even though you read it a hundred times. What efforts are you putting into being the best Christian, the best servant you can be? What is your work attitude towards learning about your faith? It's amazing. 
when I was a sheet metal man and I was out there putting furnaces in home or I was working at Akron General doing duck work. And I, and I still go down Akron General. I was telling little Mark or somebody else when we were down there, I said, there's my work. You can see it almost in every room. Go out to Blossom Music Center, you can see my work. You go to North High School in the gym there, it's an old gym now, but you can see my work. And sometimes when I'm out there with Mark and I'm watching the game, I'll look up just to see my work and say, I did that. There is a pride when you learn and then you're able to perform it. What is your attitude toward learning? What is your attitude towards your faith? And how much time do you put into learning about Jesus in this thing called Christianity? Many people read the word, but few study it. The word and Christianity. Most of us as Christians here, we don't study them. We read, but we really don't study. We really don't take time to break it down. In Psalms 32... It says, blessed are those who are forgiven of their trans. He, it uses the word he, personal pronoun. Who are forgiven of their transgressions and their sin. Well, in the Hebrew, the, the personal pronoun he is not even there. And the word transgression there simply means he who willfully sins because he has knowledge but then he willfully go out and he sins. And then the word sin that follows is just every day that we live, we sin. Because there's so much yet we don't know. And he says our transgressions and our sins are forgiven. And, and the whole process is that you and I, we gotta also want to just study and not just read. Now, now when I say study, you want to study your enemies. The Lord tells us not to be unwise about the devices of who? Of Satan. That means that I'm studying what Satan's putting out here. I need to know the things that might cause me to stumble. I need to know the things that Satan is putting out here to cause people not to come to the Lord Jesus Christ or to question the truth. I need to know those things. And I need to take those things and compare them with the Word of God that I can get a clear understanding about that thing. How many of you take time to really study Christianity? To look at Christianity. Not just to accept it because this is what you are. You're a Christian. That won't scare anybody. You going up to, I'm a Christian. That don't scare anybody. That doesn't say anything. Hey, you want to study your Christian faith. You want to know some of the history of your Christian faith. You want to know some of the heroes of your Christian faith. You want to be able 
to acknowledge some of the struggles that this man went through and this person went through and this woman went through and be able to say, only God brought them through that. You want to study your Christian faith. Why? It fortifies you. The other day I was asking Mark Jr., how do you really know God is? This grandpa, grandson now. We get to have our little conversation. See, how do you know, how do you really know God is? And grandma jumped in real quick to defend him. Because the Bible, you know, because what you see in nature. But she didn't hear the other part of the question. And Mark said, grandpa also said, grandma, if you didn't have the Bible, how would you know God is? So we have to exclude what? The Bible at that time. And he's giving me answers. And I would tell him, you're getting close. You're warm. And I said, how did Abraham know that God is when there was no written word? God spoke to him. How did Adam know God is? God walked with him. And God spoke with him. And the scripture tells us God has put it in every man's heart to know that he is, is that man chooses to deny God. Yes, nature helps. This here helps because I didn't make myself. Mom and dad had the seed, but they didn't put the seed in themselves. God wants you and I to know that he is. But the question is this. How much do we labor to really discover who God really is? How deep his love is. How marvelous he really is. Or do we only see him through a crack and God would like to open the window this wide for you to see him rather than you trying to peep in and see him. That he wants to open the window. Now, he wants to fortify you. Paul says in that Second Timothy 1.12, he says, I know in whom I have believed. Do you know who you really are believing in? Do you really know who you believe in? Let's look at a gentleman who makes an effort in discovering God. Because, see, each one of us have to make that effort. God will not hide himself. But God says, you have to seek after me. You have to really want to know me. And if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you hunger for me, I'll feed you. If you thirst for me, I'll give you water that will cause you to thirst no more. But you have to be willing to go after it. The Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. He wanted to know more about God. 
Not saved yet. But there, that desire to know God. A religious man. A godly man, if I, I even go to that point to say. Why? Because he's seeking God. Now who puts that there? God does. But the thing that he's doing is this. He's acknowledging it. See, God has put it in you to hunger after him. But you have to acknowledge it. That's why God gives you hunger pains sometimes. You have to acknowledge that it's time to stop everything else and do what? Eat. There's times you have to acknowledge that you're thirsty and have to get up and go get a glass of water. There's things that God has made in your life personally that you have to acknowledge and then you have to take some action if it's going to be satisfied. And that is the same way it is in learning about God. God has put it in you to thirst after him and hunger after him. But you have to acknowledge it. You have to want it. What we know about this man is very little. One, the man is a eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He tells us that. The Holy Spirit. That he is a eunuch. Secondly, He's an important official in charge of the treasure of Kansas, of Ethiopia. Let's read a little bit. Starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian, eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of this descendants? Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, what is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This man is an official. He is the treasurer. 
Ethiopia. What does that tell you? This man knows a little bit about math. And it says that he was reading. It tells you that he was an intelligent man. He was an educated man. For him to be reading Isaiah at this time, <clears throat> either he was reading the Hebrew, and most likely he was reading the Septuagint, the Greek. But he was reading it. That tells us this man knows more than one language. And what I want you to look at is his intelligence, his education. He would not be handling all this money if he didn't know how to do that. He wouldn't be the treasurer if he wasn't loyal and trustworthy and honest. But he's the treasurer. He's a, the, the Holy Spirit emphasizes something about him. He's an important official. Not just an official. He's one of the important ones around the queen. You can read to educate yourself. You can read to inspire yourself. You can read to help yourself. Now catch this. And still not understand what you're reading. He is reading, the scripture says, but don't understand what he's reading. And you and I, we can read. And we can read. But we may not understand what we are reading. And still yet, what we're reading can inspire us. And it can help us. But I really haven't got down to the real meaning of it yet. But it's there. In the movie, The, the Kingdom of God, or The Kingdom of Heaven, there's a scene because they're out in the desert land. And they're looking for water. And as they start to dig, you got all this sand first. So you got to get through the sand. Then you got to get through another layer of dirt that becomes a little bit more packed. It, it's, it's not sand anymore. You got to use a little pick and shovel. Now you've got to start working to get to the water. And then in the movie, they're down a ways in the hole. But the man grabs some of the mud and he gives it to a young man. He said, take it to the master. Why? Because you can't have mud without what? Water. But they don't have drinkable water yet, but they got what? And a lot of us are only hitting the mud. We haven't got to the water. 
We're playing in the mud and we're satisfied with the mud because it got some moisture in it. But you really can't what? Drink it. And it causes them to have to do what? Dig a little bit further. And then the water starts flowing. And when you dig into the Word of God, you will reach that point where that water, that that water that will cause you to thirst no more, that you can drink and it's pure and it's clean and it washes you because you've taken the time to dig for it. You wanted it. You knew, you know it's life-saving effect in your life. And you're not satisfied just with the mud and it's moist and, and, and yeah, there's water there, but you're willing to dig further into the Word of God to get that water that will cause you to thirst no more. But it takes your effort, it takes your work, it takes your doing to get there. And a lot of you want somebody else to do your digging. This man was willing to do his own digging in a sense. But it also comes to a place that yes, I need some help. All of us do. To work through biblical issues, we all need help. That's why sometimes I'll call Pastor Donald. I'll call Dr. Lennon over in Washington. I'll call this person or that person. And I'll bounce something off of them to get their view, get how they might see that text or that scripture. Why? Because Pastor Brown needs help too. Yes, I've wrestled with it. Yes, I've read commentaries. Yes, I've read how other men say, but now I have this little circle of friends that I want to talk to about this to give me more insight if possible. Or make sure I'm not going too far to the left or too far to the right, but they help keep me balanced. But the thing is, you got to keep digging. The, the Ethiopian is digging and he engages the word. You have to be willing to engage. We have to engage God's word. What do I mean? To be involved in it. To be involved in it. To involve yourself. To be active in discovering the meaning of God's word. It's one thing to just hear from another. It's another for you yourself to be actively Digging for it. For that you yourself can hear the Holy Spirit speak to who? You. To you. And this man is actively involved in searching for truth to discover the real meaning of God's word. What lets us know that? That he's engaged? Look at verse 27. Look at what it says. Let me. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
This man understood this. He had to leave home to get more knowledge about God. This man had to do something. He had to travel. He had to exert himself. He had to remove himself from his comfort zone in order to learn more about this God that he desired. He had to move. Coming from Ethiopia to Israel was 1,593 miles. So he just didn't do it in a day. He didn't do it in an hour. It took him some time to travel in order to learn God's Word. To be in a place that would enrich him. That would help develop his mind. To be in a place to pick up some golden nuggets for life. He had to leave his place of comfort because you can only learn so much at home. We got three young people getting ready to leave home to go to college. Why? What they're going to learn at college, they can't learn at home. To learn sometime, you have to leave your comfort zone and put yourself out there. And he travels from Ethiopia to Israel to worship. Oh, Lord, I can worship down the street. Oh, Lord, I can walk. If you go to Cleveland, you just got to walk across the street and you can tend four or five churches in a matter of about five minutes just walking. But to get truth is another whole subject. To get understanding, sometimes you may have to travel a distance. And this man put the effort in it because he was willing to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem where he would sit in the temple and he would hear the word of God. He was willing to do that. He knew this about himself. For him to learn more, he had to leave home. What is it that you know about yourself that is keeping you from learning more? What is it? Look how he he engaged the word. After being in the temple in Jerusalem, after hearing the reading of Isaiah in service, he didn't leave service and say, oh, that's all of it. And most likely he did hear the reading of Isaiah. But I want you to take note of this. How many of you, when you leave service in the car, you're talking to your wife, to your children, about what the message was this morning? How many of you, when you get home and you get around the dinner table, do you take time to talk about what the word said to you today. What it means to you today. What areas with the word are you struggling with? Are you wrestling with? How many of you really take time to go back over what you've heard? Because see, Pastor Brown could be wrong too. So unless you become like a Berean, 
in Acts 17. That you are searching it. You're studying it. You're examining what the sermon says. You're not going to learn. You come to be tickled by the ear. You haven't been, you're not coming to be challenged in the mind. You're not coming to have the way you think be challenged because if somebody challenged the way you think or the way you see it, they better get ready to fight. And the thing is this. The challenge is this. For you to dig deeper. For you to go further. When you say, this is it, and this is just where I'm going to be at, what you just said, you're cut off learning at that point. You're cut off the opportunity to explore. Is there something more? After being in the temple, he is found doing this. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. It wasn't enough just to hear it in church. It wasn't enough just to hear it during the time of worship. It wasn't enough. But while I'm on my way home, I'm studying this thing. I'm pondering this. I'm turning it over in my mind and in my heart. Because, see, I just don't want man to say, oh, this is the word of God. I want to hear God say, this is the word of God. This is my word given for you. Here it is. I want to hear God's confirmation of it. Not just man's theology of it. God's speaking to my heart. I want to hear that. So after he heard it in the temple, after he heard it in the time of worship, he's still struggling with it, that he's dealing with it afterwards. How many of you are dealing with God's word after you've heard it, after you've read it? Or have you just said, well, I did my daily devotions. I'm done for today. I did my little bit of reading. I don't have to give no more thought to it. I don't have to think about it no more. See, Job 42, that old monster, somebody says, why would God make something so ugly? That just caused me, you know, the first time I really gave attention to it. And you wrestle with it. On his way home, he searched it out. Now, I want you to look at his intelligence. Because sometimes our intelligence stops us from searching because we think we're so smart. We got God down. We know God's every move. We know how God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And we understand why God don't do this and, and why God will do this. When you think you really know God, you are a fool. Elaine and I have been married 53 years now, 54 years, somewhere in there. And she's still changing on me. (laughs) 
Always something new popping up. See? I'm still changing on her. Why? Because through life, we're still growing. We're still experiencing it. Things are becoming new to us, even at this age. And the thing is, that's God at work in us. And he's intelligent enough to know he didn't know something. How many of you are that intelligent? To know that there are things you don't know. A lot of us are so intelligent, we know everything. Especially these young folks. They got an answer for everything and don't know diddly what. And the whole process, they think they know it all and can't learn. And they wonder sometimes why they're stumbling over their own feet, why they're stumbling over their own mistakes, why they're stumbling and hurting themselves. Because they're saying to themselves, I know, and they're not intelligent enough to know they don't know. They don't know. It's not a sin not to know. But not to know and not know that you don't know is stupidity. And that's where a lot of people are at today. Because they will not confess, I don't know. They won't even confess, well, I'm willing to learn something different, something new. I'm willing to look at something in a different way. Because, see, you may have some knowledge, but you don't have all knowledge. Many people today don't know they don't know. And especially a lot of young people. But they won't admit, they will not acknowledge that they don't know. A lot of old folks too. Because they've just done it this way all their life. They don't know anything else. I'm the first to tell you, there's a lot I don't know about the computer. So I had a little mark because I, I didn't know how to even drag because the paper said drag this over to where I wanted it to go. And I didn't know what, what, what they meant by drag. I had to call little Mark, come over and show me how to drag, you know. And he came and showed me how to drag it, how to, uh, what do you do, uh, select it and put it out and then drag that thing over, you know. You know? Well, I hadn't went that far in, in computers, you know. But he came over, he took his time with me, and he taught me how to drag it. So, boy, I've been dragging for the last day or two. <laughs> and, but it took me to acknowledge. It's not about me being prideful. I'm older than him. I should know more than him. No, there's some things that young man can teach me. But I have to be willing to learn. And the most important thing is this, open to learn. Now, he was an intelligent man. And he was intelligent enough to ask. 
and willing to learn. Look at verse 34. He says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, tell me what? Jump back up into verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. But look at the question that he asked him. Do you understand what you are reading? And Philip asked. Look at the reply. How can I? Now what did the man just admit to himself? I'm intelligent. I can speak a couple of languages. I'm the head of the treasury in Ethiopia. I can do math. I'm somebody important. But the man was humble enough to say, I don't understand. Boy, if you don't humble yourself, you will not learn. You can never teach a prideful person. You can never teach a prideful individual. They already know it all. They got it all together and don't even know their life is coming unraveled. And he's intelligent enough to say, will you teach me? Will you teach me? He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Take the importance of this man. Take the education of this man. Take the knowledge of this man. And look what he said. I need somebody to what? Teach me. And some of us are too proud to say, would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you help me in this or that? And our pride then keeps us from learning. Our pride keeps us from Wednesday night service because I know it all. Our pride keeps us from talk about when we can talk about any issue and anything. But our pride, I know it. I don't need that. I don't need to add that into my busy schedule. I'm too busy to learn. I'm too busy to go and sit with brothers and sisters and understand what Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. That we sharpen each other. Our minds challenge each other in our learning and what we think we know. And it's okay to be corrected. And my pride don't have to jump up. But I can accept correction when it comes from the Word of God and it's very clear then. He was intelligent enough to ask. And some of us as Christians were so stupid we won't even ask about Scripture. We won't even ask, is this true? We heard it, we believe it, and we don't even search it out to see if it's so. He was one that was intelligent enough to ask and willing to learn. When you get into that verse 34, 
Look at this man's humbleness. Remember, he says, unless someone teach me. He knew that. He had to yet be taught in this. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. What is this man doing? Tell me, please. You see the humbleness in his life? You see the acknowledgement that he makes he doesn't know? And he says, please help me. That is sharing with us his real desire to what? To know about Jesus. Please help me understand more. Please help me learn more. Please help me to go deeper in Christ. Please help me to live a holy, sanctified life. Please help me. And he says, would you please do that? Let me share something with you. And I hold this very deeply. I'd much rather work with somebody who is being led by the Spirit and want to know it than to chase after somebody trying to make them learn. See the difference? The person you're chasing after sometimes to teach them the Word of God, they're not really paying too much attention. They're being polite. They're being nice. But see, that person who sacrificed to give their time, who comes and want to sit down and talk and learn, that's of the Holy Spirit that they want to what? Change in here and go deeper because they sense and know there's more to learn. There's much more to learn. And he says, please, tell me. He wants to know more. He wants to go deeper. He's hungry for the Lord, for God. I want to know more. The songwriter said, more about Jesus, I would know. How many of you even hum or sing that? More about Jesus, I would know. And you really want to grab that and desire that and want that. More of him. More of him. I would know. And tell me, please, his humbleness. A prideful person again You can't teach him anything. And Philip started with Isaiah 53. That area talking about Jesus Christ and what he was going to have to suffer for us. And he winds up somehow talking about Jesus and baptism. How do I know he's talking about baptism? Isaiah 53 is not talking about baptism. But he is sharing with him the richness of Jesus Christ. He shares with him the richness of this relationship 
not only did he suffer and die for you, not only did he take on your infirmities, but that you would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would come and baptize you into the body of Christ. He's given him much more information than what is written down just based on the word baptized and then the man's understanding. Because remember when the man first time, he said he didn't understand. And now Philip brings him to a place of understanding. The man had to lose his intelligence in one sense. He had to lose his position and title in one sense. He had to let this humble man by the name of Philip step up into his chariot and teach him. And there's another golden nugget in this verse. It said, they traveled. They traveled a while. They traveled together. And that verse 36 He comes down and he says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Now, I want you to understand something. In the teaching process and in the learning process, it didn't happen quickly. How far they traveled, the scripture don't tell us. How long it took to travel from where he got into the chariot to where he got out of the chariot, it doesn't tell us. But what it does indicate to us is this. They traveled a while. And when you're going to impart into a person's life, when you're going to teach a person something, when you're going to add something into their life, you got to travel with them for a while. you got to be there with them for a while. you got to constantly be teaching for a while. You can't do it in five minutes. Ten minutes. You can't do it in a week. When do y'all start college? When do you start? August 17th. Wouldn't it be great if you could walk the stage in one week? I know your dad would like that. (laughs) But wouldn't that just be wonderful if you could see yourself? Boy, in one week you're walking across the stage to get your degree. Some professor is going to have to toil with you, struggle with you, talk with you, encourage you. And you're going to have to make the effort, not just to get C's, but to get A's. Why? You want to be the best you can be. You want to find yourself designed to hook up with somebody and travel with them so you can learn. And it says, he traveled with them for some distance. And finally, the amazing part when you can tell when the teaching takes hold, the man began to understand and the light came on. How do we know that? Boy, Come back up into verse, let me get the glasses, verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, 
then Philip baptized him. He understood. He understood. He asked the question, am I ready for baptism? We had a young lady that came in here for a little while and when she met, she said, I want to be baptized. Nowhere near ready for baptism. But just want to be baptized. So I gave her a sheet to start reading where we could discuss about baptism. Never met. Some people just want things to happen in their life, but they don't want to study for it. They don't want to put any effort in it. They just want it done to them. It's like people waiting for a check once a month, but they don't want to work. They don't want to put any effort out there. They don't want to do anything. But they want something. People, if you're going to grow, if you're going to grow in Christ deeply and be well-rounded, and rooted in him is going to cost you something. And you're the one that has to put the effort in. You're the one that has to do it. And again, he says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. What is it? The eunuch asked. That would keep me from being baptized. Nothing. Do you understand it? What is it? That keeps you from having a much more richer relationship with Jesus Christ. You're the only one who can answer that question. What is it that keeps you from overflowing with the joy of the Lord? What is it that would keep you from teaching Sunday school? What is it that keeps you from discipling someone else? What is it that keeps you from really wrestling and challenging yourself with the issues of the day from a biblical perspective? What is it that keeps you from cultivating your mind in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the only one. God already knows what it is. But you're the one that has to acknowledge it. You're the one who has to humble yourself. And you're the one that has to say, help me. And you truly desire it and you want it. Father,
We thank you, Lord, for the Ethiopian. And we thank you, Lord, for the effort that he shows us, that he put in to have more knowledge of the God that he loved, the God that he served. And Lord, we thank you for what Scripture says, that after he was baptized, you took Philip from him. Because now he has something so much valuable that he didn't have when he first went to Jerusalem. He had the Holy Spirit now dwelling in him going back home. He didn't come to Jerusalem saying, deal with my problem back home. And there was a lot of problems going on in Ethiopia at that time. But he didn't come to Jerusalem saying, Lord, deal with my problems. I believe he came seeking you and knowing that you were his strength to face the problems. You are our strength to face every problem in life. You are the one who will show us how to overcome every obstacle that Satan puts in our way. You are the one who will give us joy when we're all by ourselves. And the scripture says you took Philip from him. But the Holy Spirit now resides in him. And the Holy Spirit now resides in each and every one of us who confess the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit desires to teach us, to teach us, to assist us in growing up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we need man. But the essential element is the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Teaching us. Teaching us. Teaching us. That we might live godly. Lord, humble us. Break us. Do whatever you need to do in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls that, Lord, we will seek you and you alone. That we'll hunger for you. We'll thirst for you. We'll want more of you. Do that work in each one of our lives. Let us not be satisfied, I pray that our cry would be more of Jesus I would know. More of Jesus I would know. That when we read yes we're inspired but when we study and have understanding it moves us to action for the glory of Christ. 
Minister to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.